Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. It is game week. I am your host, Angie Machado, and with me, as always, is our Beaver Blitz beat writer, Carter Baines. Carter, game week is here. I am excited. I think think all of Beaver Nation is excited. I think so. I think uh, the energy right now, with not only in Corvallis, but around the fans I've seen around town up here in the Portland area, has been pretty big. There's some excitement after a few gray seasons in Corvallis. So let's... uh, Jump right in. I think that since the last podcast, there's been an announcement of quarterback. What do you think of Jake Luton's announcement as the starting QB1 for the season? Yep. So this came out last Friday. Jonathan Smith uh, made his decision. Jake Luton's the guy going forward, uh, at least for now. We'll, we'll see you know, how that translates rest of season. But week one, Jake Luton's the guy. And sixth-year senior gets the, uh, the starting job over Tristan Jebbia. Not too surprised, are you? No, it's kind of the way that it, it looked like it would turn out throughout fall camp. You know, Jake Luton was running with the ones most of the time. He looked probably a step forward out there ahead of Jebbia. But really, like I said last week, you can't go wrong between those two guys. So Yeah, yeah. They both grew a lot. And I know, I know Beaver fans have been a little worried when they heard Trist- or, uh, Jake Luton was the starter. But I think you'll all be super surprised when you see where he's improved um, just his his confidence level is high. His receivers trust him. I, I I'm fine with the decision. Yeah, one of the first things that you're going to notice is how different he looks physically. Uh, he's a little bit thinner, looks more athletic, um, and that's going to help him uh, move around the pocket, escape the pocket. And then you know we all know that he's got the big arm, something that Jebbia is still working on. Um, but you know Luton has definitely shown that he can throw the deep ball and. I'm excited to see it. You know, it was fun. Is So I, I was actually the one that took in practice on or took in the media availability last Friday when, when Coach Smith made the announcement. And we spoke with Blake Brandle, senior offensive lineman, and he laughed about, you know, how fun it was to have Jake back for another year and that really he didn't care who was back there. He said half the time he doesn't even know who's back there at quarterback because he's just trying to focus on his job. But what he said, so you know they wear those catapult um devices that tell how much energy they're expelling during expressing during practice and all that stuff so I guess at one point Jake Luton was really excited and told Blake that he was running 12 miles an hour (laughs) yeah I mean it's a step forward for Luton because we all know that he's he's not this dual threat guy or anything but but he's not the statue that he has been in the past no in fact it's been one of the fun things to watch throughout camp is you know I take a note every time that he scrambles or escapes the pocket, and I'll write down, like, Jake Luton 10-yard run. It's like, we didn't see that at all last year. So it's it's a new dimension to the offense that I'm really looking forward to. And we didn't really see the defense putting pressure on him last fall camp either. Yeah, so we didn't really have to escape the pocket. But So looking at the depth chart, so then Monday, Carter and I both went down to Corvallis to take in Coach Smith's media conference, um, media press conference for the game week. They passed out, you know, the game notes, all the kind of traditional stuff, but... Looking at the depth chart, what are your biggest takeaways with the depth chart? Well, the first thing that stood out to me when we were there on Monday was the absence of Caleb Hayes from the two deep at cornerback. Yeah, when you look at cornerback, um, it's 
thin. I mean, I'm looking right here. So you have Isaiah Dunn. He's a junior and he has experience. But then behind him is Jaden Robinson. He played in four games, I believe, last year. He redshirted. And then on the other side, you have Nashawn Wright and JoJo Forrest, a true freshman and a JC transfer who have been on campus maybe a month, maybe two months. Yeah, combined two months maybe. That to me is a little bit frightening. Yeah, it's it's a little scary, but it says something that they jumped Caleb Hayes on the depth chart. Now, whether that's a factor of Hayes not performing as well as everybody thought or that Nashawn Wright and JoJo Forrest really are the real deal at cornerback, um, you know, that remains to be seen. But I'm not going to lie, it's a little concerning to see these inexperienced guys at 1A, 1B at cornerback. Yeah, and that's we'll get to that a little later about kind of our concerns and where we feel the strengths are on this team. But um, the other thing that stood out to me, and it probably shouldn't based on what we saw during fall camp, but that wide receiver spot that um, is still open because Trevon Bradford has been nursing that foot injury is Champ Flemings is ahead of Colby Taylor. Nothing against either because we saw great plays from both of them, but when I look at that, 5'5", 141 pounds versus 5'11", 211 pounds, I, Champ's just not the blocker that Colby would be. No, he can make guys miss because he's small and he's you know he's really fast because we've seen him on kickoff returns. Um, but it did surprise me as well because Colby Taylor looks like a Pac-12 receiver out there. He looks like he's a starting caliber guy regardless of whether Trevon Bradford's in there. So... I thought Taylor would take that starting job, but I can't say I'm disappointed that Flemings is there because I think he has potential as well. Now, I, th- I think that th- this is a great time to point out, too, that the two deep, I think we all, especially fans and then sometimes the media, we get too wrapped up in the two deep. When you look at it, just because a guy is second string doesn't mean he's not playing just as much, if not more, than a starter. Especially like that front seven on defense, you're going to see those guys were, you know, rotating in you know, every snap or two in a lot of cases. Yeah, I was going to say, when you look at the linebackers mm-hmm. especially, and you see Hamaka Rashid at... Behind uh, Addison Gums. Yeah, he's second team on the depth chart. I wouldn't read too much into that. I think they're going to be rotating guys in all the time. Rashid has shown that he's probably the best linebacker out there outside of Gums. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Gums is still a little unproven, but... That it did surprise me at first, but I don't think we're going to see Rashid, you know, taking a Less limited snaps. a limited yeah. number of snaps. Yeah, I mean, say. when you look at those linebackers, I would say there's four linebackers listed or four positions. I mean, I would actually say we're going to say it's nine, ten person deep in that that role. It's the deepest position group on the team, in my opinion. The other one I want to talk, uh, just kind of touch on really quick because we hear a lot of this in the lodge at Beaver Blitz is tight end. And and right now you see Anoa Togiai or Tegan Quatoriano. Um, you want to you address that a little bit? Yeah, that's. I saw a comment in the lodge about, you know, should we be concerned Noah Togiai is not this true number one tight end? And honestly, it's totally personnel-based. So what we've seen through fall camp is either a one tight end package with Togiai or a two tight end package with Togiai and Katoriano. Mm-hmm. So having a, a 1A, 1B situation here on the depth chart doesn't mean that Katoriano might start over Togiai. It's it's a package deal. Yeah, yeah. So, so like I so said... So depending on whether they need an extra blocker. Because right. Tegan's your blocker. Tegan's your big blocking tight end. Noah's going to be the guy that goes out and makes receptions or goes out for catches. 
Um, we'll also, it's not like you're not going to see Isaiah Smalls. Yep. We'll see him. And then Luke Musgrave. It's not on the two deep, but um, Smith did say we will be seeing him. I would expect him to make a difference because, you know, the tight end is now deep too. People probably remember last year there was nobody at the tight end group with Togiai out, but Musgrave, technically the fourth string tight end. I think he'll see some time and he's going to make some plays out there at that uh, position group. And special teams. Coach Smith said to watch for him on special Mm -hmm. teams. Okay, so let's jump in. This is Oklahoma State week. And some fun things in store for you later in the pod. I have Robert Allen from gopokes.com. And he's also um, a radio and a, 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 has a radio show in Stillwater. So he is going to be joining the pod on the damn hotline today. We have damn questions coming up. And uh, we have some quick hits. I got some questions for you, Carter, that All I'm right. going to I'm gonna just quick fire, rapid fire, have you go to town with it here. But let's talk Oklahoma State Cowboys because I know you have done a ton of breakdown getting ready for this game. You've broken down their roster We'll have more on Beaver Blitz. We have a tale of the tape coming out. We have some matchups to watch that Raji Woodward broke down for us that will be coming this week. Tell me what you're most excited to see with Oklahoma State coming to town. Well, what I'm excited to see from them is what I'm concerned about for Oregon State trying to defend. Um, They have one of the best receivers in the country in Tylen Wallace. Now, he is like this all-star receiver. And when I look at our secondary, I say, okay, who's going to stop him? So statistically, last year, you know, he was close to 100 receptions for the year, over 1,000 yards receiving, ton of touchdowns. That scares me a little bit, but I got to say I'm excited to see what he can bring to the field. And then also at running back, Chuba Hubbard is... Love that name. Oh, yeah, it's so much fun. Except I, I did see it's Chuba, and I thought it was Chuba. I kind of like Chuba Hubba, Hubbard. <laughs> Chub, Chuba yeah. It's, it's a tongue twister. Chuba. Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard. So there's been a lot of hype around him in Stillwater and really across the country in the national media, too, about him taking this huge step forward in his career this year uh, super fast. He's out of Canada, and he was actually a, a three-time national champion in the 100-yard dash, or 100-meter dash. 100, 100 meters. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch him against this, this new Oregon State front seven. Uh, I'm curious to see how we defend him. Yeah, and and then my thought going forward for this game, you don't want Oklahoma State to have the ball offensively. No. I mean, I think this is going to be – I think Oregon State needs to focus on one of the strengths of their offense. Yes, we've talked about Jake Luton and his arm, but, I mean, Oregon State has legit four solid running backs. And uh, to go off those guys, try to make them the workhorses, grind out those yards, grind the time, and keep that ball away – from whoever is their quarterback, you know, whether they go with Drew Brown or uh, Spencer Sanders. Sanders. Um, I think that's I think that's the key to this game is Oregon State, you know, ball security, and then also the running backs really grinding out those yards. Yep, the Beavers are going to have to control the tempo. They're going to have to dominate time of possession here because, you know, everybody knows offensively Oklahoma State's a juggernaut. So the more, the more time the Beavers have the ball, less opportunity that is for Oklahoma State to make plays, rack up the score. I would like to see this be as low scoring as possible because... Do you think it will be? I don't think it'll be as high scoring as some people think because it's week one and, you know, Oklahoma State, like you said, is bringing in a new quarterback. Oregon State's got some new pieces uh, on the offense as well. First week's always a feeling out process, as we saw between uh, Hawaii and Arizona, Arizona and Hawaii. Whoa. Now, hopefully we don't see that many turnovers. Yeah. 
And oh, but I but seeing Hawaii then and seeing that number six bird. Oh god! Yikes! Again, that's for next week. But Watch out, week two. What week two? But that's that's a little scary. Yeah. Defensively, though, the Cowboys have a new front uh, starting defensive line, so that could potentially work in the Beavs' favor, especially in that run game. Now we were talking before, and I said, "Here's my hot take." Uh, Carter's hot take. Maybe we could, we should uh, sell a. A sponsorship for Carter's hot take. Yeah, hot take of the week. I think Oregon State's defensive line is better than Oklahoma State. Who would have thought we'd say that a year ago? <laughs> it might be the only time we say it this year. I don't know. We'll we'll wait and see how it how Oregon State's new line looks. But now Oklahoma State doesn't return a single start on the defensive line, and statistically, the most tackles by a defensive lineman from last year's team that they bring over this year is seven. Wow. Okay. So there you go. That's seven tackles. That's that's intriguing, and we'll have that tomorrow, correct? Tale yes, of the tape. Tale of the tape version one goes out Thursday. So one thing I we had a ton of we actually had a couple of people ask this question for damn questions, but I thought it was it was a little worthwhile to just talk about during our main segment here. Weakness of this te- of the Oregon State team. What is your biggest concern heading into the season? It has to be the secondary, and we've touched on it already looking at the depth chart. Uh, you know, there's still some injuries going on there. Is Jalen Moore 100%? We don't know. David Morris is listed at second team on the two deep. We don't know if but he's... we still don't know. And then how, even if they are saying they're good to go, hamstrings, how much are you going to trust that to go full full bore, being that you've been injured for the past three weeks? Yeah, that's, it's definitely a wait and see there. And then at cornerback, we mentioned how razor thin they are there. And then there's unproven talent in Deshaun Wright and JoJo Forrest. Now, we know how good they can be. We've seen the plays that they've made. We mentioned They're last raw, week. though. They're yeah. raw and, and inexperienced. So that's a question. What about... So my... I, I will agree with Carter on, on the secondary being a concern. But I'm also concerned about... Dun-dun-dun. The kicking game. I hate to say that. Jordan Chukare is a great guy. And I want him to be successful. But... Are you nervous that this game might come down to a kick or two? And I hope it doesn't. <laughs> I, I really hope it doesn't because I don't know what to expect anymore. Yeah. I, I don't want to say Oregon State's kicking is 50-50 because Shukare was well above that mark last year, but it really feels like it after it watching does. them in camp because I touched on this last week that one day every single guy in that kicking group is spot on perfect and then the next day... It's they, like they, they miss. They can't even come. And close. now, just so you guys know, we as in the media, we are not allowed to watch practice any longer. So um, the stuff that we're telling you is stuff that we're hearing. It's stuff that we might just be talking from what we've seen. Uh, but practices now are closed. We we get stretching in the the very first part, but there's very little to glean in stretching, and then uh, we get some interviews at the end. So um, let's switch gears a little bit. We are not going to give any like score predictions or anything, but I think being the first part of the year, I think our listeners would love to hear kind of our takes just going through the schedule. And that was something, that was another damn question, I believe, last week, and I think someone asked it again this week. So I have the schedule right in front of me. Just give me a quick couple thoughts, and I know we're going to know a lot more about this team after Friday night, and it will be a lot easier um, to go through this. But, you know, with Beaver Blitz, we'll do our staff predictions for the season that will run Friday morning. And then we also do a game-by-game staff prediction with a score. So that'll be coming later. But I just want to get Carter's take. So starting off, Oklahoma State, win or loss? I think it's a loss, but I think it's close. Okay. And 
you know, I don't know what the whole win-loss total looks like for Oregon State at the end of the season, but the main thing is you're going to see them compete in a lot more games, and this will be a, a prime example of that. See, I'm, I'm right now, I'm on the fence with this game because I think Oregon State could totally catch Oklahoma State sleeping. I think this team, from everything I've heard, all my sources inside the Valley Center, that this football team, this Oregon State team, is jacked up. I mean, they want to play, they want to hit some people, and they want to, to turn this thing around. So... And rightfully so. Rightfully so. And then, you know, then you'll hear pretty soon we're going to put Robert Allen from Stillwater on the radio or on the podcast. And you hear, you know, just about how explosive these big 12 offenses are. So um, I think, goodness, I hate going on the record with this, but I think it could be a win. I think it's possible. That's that's where I'm going with that. I mean, I, I just went on the record saying a win, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I'm holding you to I'm, it. I'm a, I'm, that makes me a little sick to my stomach, but... <laughs> Okay, Hawaii next week. Carter is going to Hawaii for us. We'll be covering the game and going to Paradise for Beaver Blitz. I'm so jealous. I'm excited. <laughs> Been to Hawaii yet? I have not. This is my first time. Oh, my so. goodness. Oh, I'm so jealous. Good excuse to go over there. For you will sure. have to have a Mai. Oh, wait, you're not 21. Sorry, I was going to say have a Mai Tai for me, but he's not even 21. Okay, Hawaii. What's your thought on that one? Well, after watching Hawaii week one, I, I got to say it's going to be a defensive. That's uh, going to be quite the test for the defense. But I think Hawaii is an unproven team themselves because there's a lot of question marks there about, well, we know Cole McDonald is this, you know, this all-star quarterback. He threw how many? Four interceptions interceptions last week? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions there. And their defense is traditionally a little shaky. So if we're picking wins and losses, I say Oregon State gets it, but... it's a toss-up for me at this point. I'm going loss in Hawaii. I mean, we saw there was some controversy already with Arizona getting their their police escort to the stadium was somehow mysteriously canceled before that game. So we know that Hawaii can sometimes do the little home cooking. Rolo's going to be out for blood after the supposed recruit gate, you know, because Coach Smith was trying to recruit all these Mountain West guys to come make Oregon State better. Um, they've gotten they Coach Smith did take two of his coaches in uh, Coach Henson and Coach Suiaunoa. And uh, then you look at Hawaii, they have Coach Banker is uh, their assistant head coach and linebacker coach. So, I mean, there's lots of storylines there, but I think Hawaii is going to come out with a victory. Yep, there's a lot of ties between the programs right now, and they play each other a couple times in the next few years. So, But it's important. I mean, this is an important game. I know a lot of people don't like playing Hawaii because it's kind of a lose-lose, right? I mean, these guys are going to be getting on a plane directly after this game, which will probably be about 1 o'clock Pacific time, flying home and then having to get ready for Cal Poly. But um, recruiting ties, getting over there, getting in front of players on the islands, getting your guys that you know are from American Samoa or Hawaii, getting them home so their families can see them play. It's important. It is an important um, part of the Oregon State's recruiting. Cal Poly, I think we can both agree that. It shouldn't be close. That darn well better be a, a win. Now, a they do win. run the triple option, and maybe that causes problems for Oregon State's front oh, seven. triple option will take me back to my college days with <laughs> Jerry Pettibone. Yeah, I hope it doesn't cause problems. Maybe they score a few more points than people expect, but I still think Oregon State could and should and will come away with a big victory there. Okay, then Oregon State has a bye. Then we start Pac-12. Stanford comes to town. Yep, this is my big Pac-12 upset prediction here. Oregon State gets Stanford at home after a bye week, sandwiched in between Oregon and Washington for Stanford. So it's 
If there is a definition of a trap game for Stanford, this is it. I think Oregon State gets them. I am 100% in agreement. This is a win for Oregon State. At UCLA, Oregon State traditionally has not played well down in L.A. Chip Kelly has a ton of talent. He didn't do well with it last year. Is this one that the Beavs can take? Or do you think uh, too much talent down there in Westwood? You know, speaking of programs where there's a lot of questions and uncertainty, UCLA is certainly right in there because... They finished the season strong last year, but it was still huge disappointment for, for huge disappointment for Chip Kelly's first year uh, in LA. I think it's possible Oregon State comes away with a win there. I, I certainly could see it. It could be another one of those games where, you know, it's an example of Oregon State competing really well, but then just comes up short. It's hard to predict a win at the Rose Bowl, but if Oregon State's going to win a road Pac-12 game, that's probably where they get it. Yeah, I. I'm going to go with a loss on that one. Just Like I said, historically, there's too many distractions for Oregon State players. There's friends and family and late, later nights probably than they're used to, or that the coaches would probably like them to have. So um, next week, Utah comes to town. I'd say that's a loss. I just think Utah's no. defense is too good. Utah's my pick for Pac-12 champion. Their defense is elite. There's a lot of good defenses in the Pac-12 this year, but theirs is probably the best. And then offensively, Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, that's... Quite the one-two punch there at quarterback, running back. So At Cal. That's another case of a good defense. Now, Cal's not going to score any points, but... See, and I had this... I actually had this discussion down at practice last week. Um, I was standing there they're talking with James Rogers and Mike Doctor, two former Beaver greats. And I actually thought Cal could be a big win. And James told me, kind of gave me the not-so-fast, because he said that defense is going to be scary good. Yeah, early. I mean, everybody knows in the Pac-12 circles, how good their defense was last year. And we saw it at Oregon State. We only put up seven points on them at home. Um, They're going to be even better this year. So if they can score some points, they're going to make some noise in the Pac-12. Again, it's hard to pick a road win for Oregon State, even though they're going up against these somewhat lesser Pac-12 opponents. I could see it, but I'm not going to predict it. Oregon State then has a bye, and then they hit the road again for at Arizona, down in Tucson. That's my pick for a road upset. Yeah, I think that's the best spot for it to come now uh, after seeing what they did against Hawaii week one. Man, they just don't use Khalil Tate as a dual threat quarterback. I actually was on Mike Parker's show um, Monday, and I I think I said Kevin Sumlin was an idiot. (laughs) Because seriously, I mean, dude, Khalil Tate is not going to be an NFL quarterback. So let him win some games for you. In college, I, I probably shouldn't give you advice. I mean, you're making millions of dollars, and I'm not. But to me, that just seems like a no-brainer. Sometimes I think these coaches outthink themselves too much. And then the thought of NFL. I mean, if Khalil Tate's going to be in the NFL, it's not going to be because of quarterbacking. No, and I look at the first two, three drives of that Arizona-Hawaii game, and I see Khalil Tate throws four or five passes in the first you know, few plays, and it's like, You've got J.J. Taylor, who's arguably the best running back in the conference. Khalil Tate is an elite rusher. Why why go pass against Hawaii in that situation? I don't know. Again, that, Carter that game, and I are not making the big bucks, though. So That that game went sideways for Arizona real quick. And, and their secondary looked... I mean, we were talking about concerns with Oregon State secondary. Their secondary didn't look scary. good either. Okay, Washington. I, I think that's a loss. I'm going to go loss on Washington just because I think they're a elite team. Yep, and we haven't really competed against them in the last probably five-plus years. So. ASU coming to Corvallis. 
Yep, I said last week that we could see an upset there. It's a good late season matchup for Oregon State. Cold, Reeser Stadium, November. Yep. For those boys from the, the desert. And again, a lot of unproven uh, scenarios there in Tempe with, you know, who replaces Manny Wilkins, uh, Noah and Akeel Harry. They do have Eno Benjamin, who yeah. Oregon State could not stop last year. I think he put up 300, 300 yards. 300, over 300, yes. Yeah, so... That could be a problem there, but it's just a question of whether or not the Sun Devils have the weapons to beat Oregon State in Reeser on what will probably be a cold, maybe rainy night. Okay, so even colder and possibly snowier the next week than they travel to Pullman to take on the Cougs. I don't really know what to, to make of no Washington idea, State yeah. right now. I have no idea. You know, when they named um, Anthony Gordon, I believe is his name, over Gage Gubrud at starting quarterback, I was shocked because... I thought Gage Gubrud could step in and fill that fill that Gardner Minshew spot pretty nicely, you know, being this all-American talent at the FCS level at Eastern Washington. I don't really know what to expect from them this year, so maybe they take a step back and Oregon State get gets one there. It's you know, becoming a hostile environment in Pullman, but who knows. And then Civil War. <sighs> yeah. I, I think we just table Civil War for now. I don't want to talk about Let's, it. We're not talking about Civil War right now. Okay, so stick with us. Next up, we are going to welcome Robert Allen from GoPokes.com, part of the 24-7 network. He is going to give us a really, really solid update on what to expect from uh, the Cowboys. Welcome back to the Damn Podcast. This is Angie Machado, and it is time for one of our favorite segments on the Damn Podcast, the Damn Hotline. And joining me this week on the Damn Hotline is Robert Allen, publisher of GoPokes.com. He is also on the radio in Stillwater. He knows everything there is to know about Oklahoma State, the Beavers' opponent this week. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I can't wait to get up to your great state and check it out. I've never been to Oregon, so I'm, I'm pretty fired up about the road trip. It, it should be fun. I mean, the weather's good. It's a little hot today, but uh, it should be perfect when you're here, like mid-80s. Well, I, that'll be good because uh, we're actually, it's 77 degrees. That's about as cool as we've been in a while uh, because we had a cold front, some storms come through last night. But yesterday was a heat index of, I think it topped at 112. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. See, it's, it's way less humid here. You'll, you'll love yeah. it here. So let's just jump right into it. Football season is here. We are starting the season. Oregon State, I think, should be pretty excited. Um, the Oregon State fans are excited because they're opening with a Power 5 opponent, something that doesn't happen here all that often. Um, how has fall camp gone for Oklahoma State this month? You know what? I think it's it's gone pretty good. Uh, it's been different because after the 7-6 and six season last year, Mike Gundy, the head coach, took took a lot of the blame, kind of fell on his own sword and blamed himself for really not yeah they, they beat a lot of top 25 teams they were four and one against top 25 teams and they struggled against teams that they were predicted to beat and he feels a lot of that was discipline you go back and look penalty yardage uh missed assignments he just thought he let too many small things get through and and those creeped up in games so fall camp has been very regimented it's been very discipline-oriented, right down to the shirts the coaches and the staff wear, say, win with discipline. And there's been a lot of extra running every time there's a penalty or a mistake. Uh, that side of the ball got to do a little extra 
conditioning, which they don't normally do during fall camp. They're in good shape when they get into it. So it, it's been a very, I guess the best word, it's been a regimented fall camp. Okay. Okay. So new OC this year with, with Gleason coming in from Princeton, mm-hmm. what has he brought to the, the high powered offense? Not much yet okay. uh, because uh, Mike Gundy's handling him the same way he handled Mike Gersich when he came in from Shippensburg. And of course now coach Gersich is in uh, at Ohio state as the, the quarterbacks coach and pass game coordinator for, for the new staff up there with Ryan day. Uh, He's impressive. I had him on my short list uh, for Oregon state to be looking at when they hired coach Smith. Yeah. Very impressive coach. Yeah. He is a very impressive coach. And the funny thing is uh, Angie, the fans here at Oklahoma state never appreciated him. Really? For what, for whatever reason, there was a disconnect and they never thought, uh, you know, he wasn't as edgy as either Dana Holgerson or Todd Munkin. And uh, now I can tell you, he used the F bomb as much as those, <laughs> as much as those guys did. He just didn't do it as publicly as those yeah. guys did. And the fans here, like an offensive coordinator, that'll, that'll drop a bomb every now and then. And, and, uh, and Mike Yersich dropped the bomb a lot on the field, but it was by having Mason Rudolph throw it to, to James Washington. So, um, but no, Sean Gleason came in and he, he, his first job was to learn the Oklahoma State offense, which really isn't much different than what he was doing at Princeton. Now, as this season goes on, I think you'll see some of the things that, that Sean Gleason did at Princeton. Uh, a lot of it is in the quarterback run area and you've got Spencer Sanders, who's really got the chance to be an outstanding runner. Uh, I think some of those things will come to fruition, uh, with coach Gleason as they move forward during the season. So that the perfect segue in here. So coach Gundy, according to the, the two deep I saw has not named a starting quarterback. So you have Drew Brown transferred from Hawaii and then, uh, Spencer Sanders, that, uh, you know, dual threat great running quarterback who has the edge right now in your opinion you know what fall camp and and I, i'm out actually out there to see it all and and so and i'm not i'm not telling you a line uh coach gundy doesn't want us to give position switches he doesn't want us to give out injury information and he doesn't want schemes talked about but how players are doing he doesn't mind those guys are virtually equal Okay. They've had a the, the the fall camp. They both have moved the offense. Uh, both uh, Gundy and Gleason have said we can win with either one of them, and I I believe them. I think either one of these quarterbacks could win games this year. The one big difference, Angie, is when the play breaks down. Drew Brown will scramble and get you back to the line of scrimmage, or maybe get you four or five yards. Spencer Sanders, when the play breaks down. Hold your breath. He can go all the way. I mean, he is he is really a dynamic runner. So if you were asking me at the end of the day, I think he ends up winning the job just simply because he he can really put the fear in a defense if he tucks the ball and goes with it. Now does, and, does Drew Brown have a better arm, though? Uh, no, Spencer actually okay. probably has the stronger arm, but I wow, would give okay. Drew I would give Drew the edge on accuracy. I think Drew was more accurate in fall camp, not by a bunch. Okay. And Spencer's arm is not stronger by a bunch. Like I said, there it's minute. The differences between the two of them are minute. The biggest edge for Drew Brown is he's been on the field and started two full seasons of college football. Yeah, yeah. Spencer Sanders, 
started three and a half years of high-level Texas high school football, which is not a big knockoff, but it's still not college. And then the other big advantage on Spencer's side is that athletic ability to run with the football. Yeah, yeah. So Oregon State's had similar. You know, Oregon State has two quarterbacks. They had a, a six-year senior and, and Jake Luton who received his medical hardship in January, but right up, you know, all through the season, it was thought to be Tristan Jebbia, transfer from Nebraska, his job. So um, they just, Oregon State just announced the quarterback here Friday, and they're going with the bigger-armed Luton for, uh, for, for Friday night, but similar in that they were both super close. So switching gears a little bit, this is an Oklahoma State team that, what, since 2005, you haven't had a losing season under Gundy. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Have not had a losing season since his first year. So, I mean, 14 years, no losing season, or 13 years, no losing seasons. But last year came close. And like you, you alluded to, you were 4-1 and one against the top 25 teams, struggled against the teams that you were supposed to, to run away with. And defense has kind of been the question mark. How have they improved this year? I don't know that they have. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> I, you, you want, I assume you want me to be honest. Yeah, no, I uh, want you to be completely honest. I, I, they're, they're a year older in the secondary. They played a lot of young safeties last year. So they're a year older there. Those guys are athletic. They can make plays. And I think they're better. I think the corners, who are both, one's a senior, one's a, a fourth-year junior. Uh, in fact, uh, Rodarius Williams' brother, uh, Greedy Williams, is in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns, and that's his younger brother that's in the NFL. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, yeah. Greedy went out early from LSU last year and got drafted in the second round. I think both those guys have the potential to play in the league. You just have to understand, in the Big 12, it's different offensively. Every, every team seems to have great quarterback play, and every offensive coordinator is trying to dial up a touchdown play every call. It, it is by far the best offense in college football. And I know the Big 12 gets a bad rap defensively, but part of that is the offense is that, that much better. I mean, when you've got NFL teams that come through here and come through Norman with Lincoln Riley and, and several other schools, uh, and they come there to, to learn what you're doing offensively, heck, the, the Arizona Cardinals hired for their head coaching job a fired yeah, a Big 12 coach. So you tell me. I mean, there must be something in the water down here with offense. So so now here's the here's the Achilles heel for Oklahoma State. They are going to start a defensive line that has no returning starts. As in, none of these guys have ever started a game for Oklahoma State on the defensive line. That's the X factor. I, I, I love the kids' heart and effort. I think physically they look the part. But when you're starting a whole defensive line that has no and, – and I look across the line at the offensive line for the uh, Beavers. There's two kids over there that have started 30-plus games, and there's another one that started 25. And they're going against a defensive line that has no returning starts. I, I got to see what that looks like Friday night. And, and if you're Oregon State and you're an Oregon State Beaver fan, you got to be sitting there saying, I, I kind of like that matchup. Yeah, yeah. You know, now, especially now, with the running backs that Oregon State has, right? I mean, sure. that has to be Oregon State's game plan is to keep Oklahoma State offense off the field and try to, to, you know, control the clock. 
So I, I need to see what that looks like. On the other side, I, I know Oregon State feels a lot better about their defense, but this is an Oklahoma State rushing attack with, with uh, Chuba Hubbard and L.D. Brown in the backfield and an offensive line that I think is rejuvenated with Charlie Dickey, who for years in this conference, we've, we've played K-State and marveled at how good their offensive line play is. And now their offensive line coach is coaching the Cowboys. I want to see what that looks like, too, because I, I feel pretty good about what Oklahoma State's going to bring to their rushing offense against an Oregon. I know it's a, a there's transfers and there's new guys and, and all that. And there's a 377-pound nose tackle. But I'm kind of anxious to see what that looks like, too. Yeah, so, I mean, you, I mean, your opinion, is this game won and lost in the trenches for both teams? Absolutely. I, I yeah. think it... I think it's won and lost on the rushing total. And you, are you giving the edge to runs Oklahoma State? For a significant. I mean, because yeah, Oregon State, like we, I was on your radio for, show this morning, and yeah, like you brought sure. up, Oregon State gave up 285 yards this mor- or last year a game. And statistically, historically, a team is not going to improve, you know, and uh, reduce that number by, you know, as much as Oregon State needs to. Well, I mean, I'm sure that's what Jonathan Smith and, and – uh, Tim uh, Tibisar, I believe they'll do. Yeah, that's what they they think they will, and we'll find out because I think if there's a significant difference in the in the rushing yards, you got your winner. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree wholeheartedly. And like like I said earlier, I think it's Oregon State needs to control that clock, and they're going to have to keep the Cowboys off the field offensively. And to do so means riding the backs of the, you know, the four running backs Oregon State has and just, you know, mm-hmm. working, grinding out those yards. Well, Robert, I am so excited that you were able to take time and join us on the damn hotline today. And I look forward to seeing you Friday at Research Stadium. I've got, I got news for you. I've never been on a damn hotline before. So well, look at that damn hotline <laughs> with the damn podcast. We're so excited that you joined us. All right. Thanks, Angie. Have a safe trip. See you soon. All righty. Wow. Okay, that was pretty awesome. I thought he gave us some really good things uh, to look forward to about the Cowboys. Yep, good insight from Robert there. Um, excited for him to come and see Oregon, this great state. Yeah, yeah. Excited I, to see Oklahoma State. That's It's another you know great thing, being part of this 24-7 sports network, part of CBS Sports, is the fact that we can draw on the talents of so many great publishers across the network. So super excited for what that you know, that hotline will be for the upcoming season with all the Pac-12 publishers. Um, I think, though, it's time right now for another one of our favorite, favorite sessions, uh, segments. Damn question time, guys. And we got some good ones this week. And I'm going to start, I'm going to start with Mr. G. Gray in the lodge. He got a, he had a couple here. Um, But the first one was, did you think that Oregon State waited too long to announce an incentive for this Oklahoma State as far as tickets were concerned? It did seem pretty late considering it's Labor Day weekend. People tend to make their Labor Day plans months in advance. And you come out three, four weeks before the game and say, hey, we've got these great deals for you. And they just announced the 444. For $99? Yeah, like a week before the game. Yeah, So... I don't know. People probably already have their plans in place, but for the casual fan that has nothing to do, you know, it's it might be good timing there, I guess. I would have loved to see it personally done at the very beginning and maybe even made it a, a less expensive season ticket price. Just you want that stadium rocking. Now, part of his other part of his question was, 
how many do we think we see this weekend? Do you see we th- do do you think we'll see thirty five thousand in Reeser? Yes, I, I'll, I'll no say no students in session. That that's no the school. only problem because the students really carry the energy in Reeser, especially for those night games. So thirty five thousand is probably on the higher side. Unfortunately, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see thirty five thousand though, and I think that would be good because. You know, that's more than we saw in a lot of games last year, so. And then, here's a fun one. This is still part of Mr. G. Gray in the lodge at Beaver Blitz. If, and then somebody corrected him on, in the lodge and said, when Oregon State is 3-0 and heading into Stanford, is that a sellout? I don't think it's a sellout, but students will be back for that game. So, we're going to see a lot of students there. And then, you know, it'll probably be the, the most attended game at Oregon State since, well, at least under the Smith tenure and then probably going back to Anderson's first year. So I'd say when the Beavers are 3-0, and yes, uh, there will be a lot of energy in the stadium, but I don't know if it's sold out. Lifer 82 asks, Jack Sears, USC quarterback, has entered the transfer portal. What are our thoughts there? I don't know if that's a great fit right now for Oregon State. I mean, with Tristan Jebbia there. Now, could Oregon State take another transfer quarterback? Yes. I, I'm I'm kind of waiting myself for Dylan Morris to enter the transfer portal from Washington because they're still completely loaded at quarterback with uh, Sermon coming in next year. Will that happen? I don't know. But that's the one I would put my money on if, if, if that ever happened. Well, I'll be honest. I don't know a whole lot about the kid uh, from USC, but, you know, it, it's always good to have more depth at quarterback and Luton will be gone. So, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing to have some competition there to push Jebbia and you know, make him better. Um, I don't know. Maybe they land a transfer. I'm not sure if he's the one, but... Yeah, because they depth-wise, they're going to need... You know, you have Gold Branson committed mm-hmm. to come in and play. But he'll be a freshman. But he'll be a freshman. So, so it is something to keep an eye on. So, um, and that's the one thing I think we've seen from Smith and his staff is recruiting-wise, they're willing to get creative with guys. You know, whether it's transfer portal, whether it's looking um, at JUCOs, they're, they're, they'll get creative. Okay, Christian Bass on Twitter asks, if the Beavs can get four-plus wins this year, where do you think Jonathan Smith is capable of taking this team? I think regardless of how many wins we see this year, it's going to be improved football, and then that carries over to the 2020 season where they're certainly going to have a much easier schedule, I think. Uh, When you look at the home-road splits here with who they're playing, they're going to get those those Cals, the Arizonas at home, uh, which probably lines up for more wins there. Um, if you're playing improved football, you probably get those uh, those wins there, and then you're probably looking at a bowl for sure, I would think, 2020. Well, I don't want to go out and say that they will make a bowl in 2020, but you know, if, if they're as good as we think but, they are this year and it carries over, I think, yeah, they're a bowl so team next year. You like the projection? Yeah. Okay, good. Mike Culver asks... Um, he wants to know, we have Alexis Serna on staff. Are they using him at all to help teach the kicking crew? I do believe, I mean, he can't be an on-field coach, but I do believe that he does mentor and help those kickers when he can. So he has a different job. He's with them helping find jobs after football, but um, I do believe I've heard that he does help them. Um, I would like to think so, because that's a great asset for the team, having probably one of the best kickers in school history on staff. Uh, just to have him make some impact in whatever capacity is allowed for him in the role that he has. So here's here's a good one. 
Um, Tim Y says, do you think this team is ready and confident enough to know how to win? Example, not self-sabotage and melt away when things go wrong and then make the big plays when they need to. I think that's the difference between uh, this team under Coach Smith and Anderson, that they have this much different mentality of they want to go out there and they want to win. Okay, when Anderson was here, it was they're just going to go out there and they're going to play and whatever happens, happens. That was at least the vibe that I got. With Smith, they're much more competitive. We see it on the field in practice when they're going after each other. You know, we can tell that they just they want to hit somebody. And you know, when Oklahoma State comes to town, I think they're going to play with a lot of fire. Kevin Petermeyer says, where do you think our biggest coaching weakness is right now? A tough one man that's a great question super good question huh and we're gonna piss somebody off regardless offensively i think they're set i don't think there's anything to worry about coaching wise offensively uh so I'll, I'll go on i'll say who i think my our strongest coach is offensively petrie petrie yeah because he has the whole package he's a great recruiter and he's getting a lot out of his guys yeah that's what i would say okay so weakness though uh, it's Okay, so then by default it has to be either defense or special teams, and I'm just going to go ahead and say special teams right now because okay. of the inconsistency there, um, the lack of production that we saw last year. I, it's Like I said, it's a really tough question to answer, but I think based on on-field product and what we've seen throughout fall camp, uh, it has to be special teams. I, I, I'm not going to argue there. I think I think that's a good call. I also... I'm not going to lie. I have questions about the defensive coordinator and Coach Tibisar. That's fair. Not to say that he won't get the job done. And I, I do, in a lot of ways, respect the way that they kept kind of kept the ship going in a straight direction last year. Didn't try to, you know, to get guys ready for this year. But they better be a lot better this year. And I do want to say on the defensive side, while there are questions about Tibisar, those position coaches are really good. Yeah. And I yes. look at the secondary and oh, I see don't you love Blue Adams? Blue Adams is this insane coach that we just brought in. And, you know, I hope people see the secondary and maybe they're not, maybe they have a down year. And I hope they don't go and say, well, is Blue Adams a good coach? Because he brings this whole new dimension to the team. Uh, like I said, the position coaches on defense are, you know, you're not going to find many guys better than them. So Sean Leahy on Twitter, and I'm going to jump over to the lodge here because there's been really good questions. So thank you guys. We have a ton. So this segment maybe is a little longer than it has been in the past, but there's some really good questions that I don't want to pass up. Sean T. Leahy on Twitter says, which player new to the roster this year will make the biggest impact straight out of the gate on Friday season opener? I think it's probably either Addison Gums or Avery Roberts, um, both on the defensive side. So Addison Gums on the two deep is actually listed at linebacker. And in fall camp, we saw him mostly on the line. So I'm interested to see what kind of impact he makes at that position because it wasn't something that we've really seen. Um, and then, like I said, with Avery Roberts, the, he's just an athlete. And, you know, he has an eye for the ball. He just finds the ball carrier, whether it's running back or whether it's the quarterback holding it, and he goes and makes a sack. Uh Oregon State fans are going to be really excited to watch those two guys. And then also, Nashawn Wright, I guess he's a starter now, so you have to hope that he comes with uh, with some impressive skills there. Okay, so Matt Chiafoni in the lodge. And Matt, you always bring your A-game. I have to give you a shout-out because you always bring good questions. You have a bunch, so 
I don't want to go, like I said, we are going way long right now. And thank you for not asking a bunch of JUCO recruiting questions. But I will answer one of your questions here about Alex Lemon signing with Oregon State in December. Or will he sign with someone else? He is completely 100% Oregon State. Uh, I don't see him flipping. He is he's 100% Oregon State. Um, should we be fearful or excited that JoJo Forrest is pushing for a starting spot? I think excited because... Like I said, with a lack of depth in the secondary, you need these guys to kind of step up. Um, and then the fact that you know he's ahead of Caleb Hayes now. I, I just think it speaks volumes, right, into recruiting. Because we had this conversation last year, not Carter, but Marcus and I did, about just recruiting and recruiting better talent. And it's hard. It's really, really hard when you have guys that have been with the program get passed by on the depth chart. But at the same time, if you want to take the step forward and, and win more games, you need to add talent. And a lot of times those guys are going to leapfrog guys. It's, well, look, it's he's, tough. He's it's, a true freshman. He's a true freshman. So what does that say recruiting-wise about you know, having an opportunity to play right away? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you also asked Matt about David Morris and his um, injury bug. You know, I, tight hamstrings are, might plague him for a while, but as long as he is, you know, the training staff has been working with him so much. I mean, they are doing everything they can to keep him at 100%. And uh, I know David won't push it if, if he can't be 100%. So that is, uh, you know, sometimes injuries just happen and some guys are more injury prone than others. It's the unfortunate part of the game. But he's a competitor, but I, I think he's smart enough to know when to, to kind of limit himself. Okay, and Yakov, I'm going to end with this one before we jump into our quick Fire, rapid fire, which will actually answer a few more of the questions that I've seen here. Yakov in the Lodge says, are we ready to kick some butt? I'm ready for him to kick some butt. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It will be fun. Okay, stick with us because we're going to finish off the show today with some quick rapid fire questions. And I'm actually going to take notes of what Carter's answers are to see how well he does this year. He's holding me accountable. Okay, we're back, Beaver Nation. Damn Podcast, episode two of the 2019 season, Angie Machado and Carter Baines. We are going to wrap up today's show, and I am going to throw Carter a whole series of rapid-fire questions, and I'm going to hold him accountable because we're going to talk about it next week and see how he does. Are you ready, Carter? Let's do it. Okay. I got them all written down here. We're ready to go. Will Luton throw for over 300 yards? No. Who will be the leading rusher for Oregon State? Jamar Jefferson. Who will be the leading receiver for Oregon State? Isaiah Hodgins. Leading scorer. Who scores the most points for the Beavers? Jefferson. Takeaways. Over or under two? That's a tough one. I'm going to go under. Under! Ooh, that's not a good sign. They've got to prove it. Okay. Sacks. Over or under two? I'll take over. Okay, we're going to sack them. Okay, uh, leading tackler for Oregon State. Avery Roberts. Okay, I just hope it's not JMO. Uh, Nothing not. against JMO, but you know that's you not a good sign. Tackles. Your safety. Um, will Shoe Care be over fifty percent on all of his kicks? So PATs and field goals. Will he be over fifty percent? Yeah, he's going to kick a lot of PATs. So okay. <laughs> will the Beavers score over thirty-five points? Yes, they have to to win this game. Will the defense hold the Cowboys to under two hundred yards rushing? Yes, I think they do most of their damage through the air. 
there you have it, Beaver fans. Thank you once again for listening to the damn podcast. Stick with beaverblitz.com for all the coverage, including in-game, live thread, and post-game analysis.